Um, and so we're continuing this series uh, called Asking for a Friend, um, Difficult Questions That uh, We Need to Think About. And today the question, I guess, is, um, we might put it this way, how can we apologize for things in the past? We've heard this question before, we might have asked it ourselves. When we ask a question like this, we're thinking about things in the past that you know, we didn't necessarily do in the first place, but um, which are a problem for us. What are we supposed to do with these? And I'm not going to presume to be able to give a definitive answer to that this morning, but I do think that there are some scriptures that we can look to for perspective on questions like this that are really important. And so this morning we're going to consider this question in light of Daniel chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn there so you can be flipping through it and looking, looking at what we're talking about. But it'll be on screen here and I'm going to begin with it. So Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 19. Um, and so let's hear this this morning. 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, by birth a Mede, who became king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, must be fulfilled for the devastation of Jerusalem to be complete, namely 70 years. Then I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, Ah, Lord, great and awesome God, keeping covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments, we have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Righteousness is on your side, O Lord. But open shame, as, it, as at this day, falls on us, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Verse 15 continues, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned even to this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, in view of all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath, we pray, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become a disgrace among all our neighbors. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. Incline your ear, O my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look at our desolation and the city that bears your name. We do not present our supplication before you on the ground of our righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act, and do not delay. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So before we get to Daniel's prayer, um, he begins by telling us the date. And our question today, how can we apologize for things in the past, suggests that uh, even in asking that question, we, modern Western people, are a little less connected to our histories than ancient people would have been. 
And we can tell this even by looking at our dating system. When we tell the date, we tell a string of numbers and a, and a calendar, year, uh, calendar month. But ancient dating systems operated slightly differently. Um, they referred to the passage of time in such and such a reign of such and such a king in such and such a place. And they located themselves uh, in a way that, sh that reminded them of their place in history and their connection to the things that are going on. And the difference between our modern dating system and ancient dating systems is kind of like the difference between um, uh, naming of streets in cities. You can have streets that are named like a kind of grid and number system, you know, first and second street and first and second avenue, like parts of Calgary are. Or you can have streets that are named like in my neighborhood, Shaughnessy, where you've got Shaw Cliff and Shaw Glen and Shaw Meadows. So all I have to tell you is my street name and you will know which part of the city I'm in, what's around there, if you know Calgary at all. And if I had any clue who Shaw was, then I would also be reminded of the heritage um, behind that part of the city. And that difference between like uh, street naming systems is a similar difference between uh, the way we moderns date ourselves and the way ancients dated themselves. And what we have here before Daniel gets to his prayer, the thing that triggers Daniel's prayer in fact, is he's turning to the books of the people of Israel and he's trying to get his bearings. He's remembering what year it is but not just according to ancient dating systems, but he wants to know the year of the Lord. He wants to know where he is in the timeline of God's prophecies and promises to the people. And so this is why before we get to Daniel's prayer, it's important to, for us to realize what has triggered Daniel's prayer. Well, he looked up the date. It says in verse two, in the first year, this is of Darius, the Babylonian emperor, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, must be fulfilled for the devastation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now we know, if we don't have time to go and look at all of them, but we know from other Old Testament texts and prophecies that what Daniel's referring to is this period of 70 years where he, with all of Israel and Judah, have been exiled into uh, the sort of stranglehold of the Babylonian empire, and the promised land that they used to live in has been desolated. And in other prophetic books, we know the reason for this, and we um, have similar um, dates that are assigned to this period of exile in Jeremiah and Zechariah and in Second Chronicles. We have different variations on this promise that it would be around 70 years. And we see that for the ancient prophetic sort of um, numbering of these years, it's an approximation. It's not necessarily down to the exact date. That's just how it worked. And it's kind of like saying a few generations from now, the time will come when such and such will happen. Or our grandchildren will live to see the day when this exile ends. So 70 years is what Daniel sees is the time that's been set by the prophets for this time of exile under the dictatorship of Darius, outside of the promised land. And he acknowledges this and he sees the truth of this. And uh, he's coming to grips with it and it leads him to prayer. So the chapter begins with Daniel figuring that they're near the end of this 70 years, we must be, uh, that's prophesied in Jeremiah 25. And then the chapter ends, we didn't read this part, but it ends with Daniel learning from an angelic messenger that um, the time is going to be fulfilled soon. But then beyond that, there will be further sort of prophetic horizons yet to come where the, the freedom of God's people will be fulfilled 
even more fully. There'll be 70 more sevens yet to come. And we know now in retrospect that this is the angelic messenger sort of expanding the horizons of the prophecy to include what we now know as the Christ event. And this is how ancient prophecy worked. It's kind of like if you're internet savvy at all, it's sort of like memes. You know how a meme sort of gets made and then someone builds on it and adds to the joke and it doubles and triples and it gets sent around social media? Prophetic years were kind of like that. Prophecies were made, they were fulfilled, but then once they were fulfilled, they realized there was yet more meanings yet to come. So in Daniel's case, though, he's coming to grips with the first initial meaning of this 70-year prophecy, and the hope is that this exile will end. And so how do we make sense of what Daniel learns in this moment? Well, we have to know not just the ancient date, the year of Darius and so on, but the prophetic date. What is actually meant to be fulfilled here, and what is, what is coming to an end? What we know if we go in and look at the other prophecies and so on that are informing Daniel's prayer, we see that the people of Judah and Israel had been commanded, right from the beginning of the covenant through Moses, they'd been commanded to kick off every seven years with a Sabbath year, as it was called. And there's a beautiful description of it in the law, but there's no evidence that it was practiced much, if at all. And Second Chronicles interprets the exile to Babylon as a period of mourning where God remains faithful to the covenant even though they have not. Because of their unfaithfulness, they are experiencing 70 straight Sabbath years, but in the mode of exclusion and judgment from the land rather than rest within it. The land gets its rest, but they don't get a part in it. We see this clearly in Second Chronicles especially. They had refused to give rest to the land as, as they'd been commanded, and they refused to erase debts and pardon debtors as they were meant to do every seventh Sabbath year in what's called the year of Jubilee. And this was supposed to be a, a kind of festival reset to their economy and to their agricultural production and property ownership. And because they didn't practice this, it's almost like the Sabbath years that were missed built and piled up on each other like a, like a traffic jam, and it produced a, a kind of jam up of generational injustice, the equivalent of a kind of massive concussion for the people of God. And because they refused to obey God in the way that they lived on the land and lived together, they lost their bearings. Personally and spiritually, but also socially and economically and politically, they ceased to be the people of God they were meant to be. And so the Lord in this 70-year exile is taking the 70 Sabbath years that were promised to the land on their behalf and is rendering it as a kind of atonement for their sin to take them out of it for a period of exile. And so they're experiencing a punishment for their rebellion because what they had done, instead of follow the covenant, they had gotten their bearings by some other god. And now they're living under the exilic enslavement to the Babylonian Empire. So Daniel is coming to grips with this as he opens the books. Which is interesting because Daniel, if you know anything about Daniel, is that he's unique among these people in that he has been faithful. He has been, amongst a few other colleagues, he's been a remnant of faithfulness for the Israelite people in the midst of this exile. And so Daniel opens to the scriptures to, 
see what year it is to get his bearings from the word of God, and we see that this is what happens. Verse 3. The word of the Lord leads Daniel straight to prayer and supplication in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel asks God to intervene finally and supply. And says Daniel makes his confession. Now, Nowadays, the only confessions that really get written down for public consumption are confessions to crime or um, celebrity apologies we are trying to get past some sort of scandal or another. Um, but we also have these in our liturgies, in our prayers, in our psalm books, and in our worship songs. And I'm glad we do because it's the recording of prayers like Daniel's that teach us how to get our bearings in our world today. And in fact, Daniel 9 has been a very important prayer in my own life. So how does this prayer then inform the question that we're considering today, the difficult question? What is it about this prayer that we can learn? Well, there's a lot that could be said about it, and I've said some things already, but I have three questions I want to sort of boil this down to and address. First of all, let's be clear what kind of prayer this is. Second of all, who's meant to pray it? And thirdly, when might we pray it? So first off, what kind of prayer is this? Well, it is, as we've seen, as Daniel described it himself, it's a prayer of confession. It's a supplication or a a request. And the request is for mercy and forgiveness and deliverance from this time of wickedness and this time of punishment. And so as a prayer of confession, it's also a request or a turning away from that wickedness into God's healing and mercy. And so we often call this a model prayer of repentance. See in verses 4 to 7, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps on loving us, we have sinned and turned away from your commands. Righteousness is on your side, O Lord, and the shame falls on us. In, um, when John Calvin lectured on the book of Daniel, he came to chapter 9, and he explained it this way. He said that Daniel confessed the justice of God's judgments. And that's really what the word confession means. To confess is simply to agree with whatever the person you're confessing has said. And so a confession is us coming in line with God's judgments on whatever particular situations we're in. We're agreeing with what God says about our situation. To confess is to get your bearings through the word of God, both positively and negatively as it regards your sin and our place in the world and its wickedness. And repentance is the, what we hope would be the follow-through on that. If we name things the way God sees them properly, then the next step is to turn from our sin and wickedness into the healing and work of God. So it's a prayer of confession and repentance. And after 70 years, Daniel prays for the mercy of God's people And an angel says, it will be fulfilled, and wait till you see what happens 77s more from now. And we know that what the angel is gesturing to, which Daniel wouldn't know in full at the time, but we know now in retrospect, is the angel is pointing him towards the further fulfillment of God's prophecy, which we now know is the coming of Jesus Christ. And now, if you're like me, you might um, tend to think that once Jesus Christ comes, Everything's forgiven once and for all, and we don't have any need to confess or repent anymore, other than like the first time with the baptism and so on. But that's not really the way Christianity works. Christianity picks up the psalms of repentance and the prayers of repentance like 
Daniel prayed, and we see new life in them. For example, when Hebrews chapter one, one of the books of the New Testament, um, looks back on the 77s that have gone by, it's, it summarizes it this way. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But these days, God has spoken to us apostles by his son, who has been the exact representation of God on earth and has sat back down at the reigning right hand of God in heaven on our behalf. And then as, as the apostles unpack what this means for Christian life and hand it over to the next generation, we see an example of how these prayers are incorporated into the people of God. When Paul tells Pastor Timothy in Ephesus, in 2 Timothy, he says that the scriptures, that includes the prophets, that includes Daniel, will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus because they are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, now that Christ has come and God's mercy has been fulfilled for us and we're forgiven once and for all, it doesn't mean, okay, it's all done, we don't need to confess or be corrected or repent anymore. It doesn't mean that. No, it means that in the mercy of God, we continue to turn to the scriptures and the prophets and the apostles for ongoing correction in the mercy of God. And so that's why not just Daniel 9, but the Psalms have carried on in the Christian church. And Daniel 9 in particular is like a prototype prayer of repentance for us. Daniel provides a pattern for turning to the word of God to get our bearings in this world and to step forward into God's further mercy and healing. And Daniel 9 sort of gets it right for us, and we need to learn to pray this way. He says, we do not pray because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. In other words, you know, no matter what our sort of habits of apologizing for things are, as Christians we understand that when we apologize, we're not apologizing because we're better than that. It was just a little blip on the radar, never mind. Uh, let's just get that behind us. No, when Christians confess things, they own up to it. And they say, you know, God is better than this. And I would like to be more faithful to God. We confess and repent. And we've learned that from the scriptures. And not only that, but we've learned from Daniel that we don't pray even prayers of repentance because we're somehow super repenters who've gotten super good at it. And, the, and therefore, we get awarded with more mercy because of the quality of our repentance. The more we pray because we're so righteous in our prayers, the more God listens to us and rewards us. That's not, that's not how this goes. Daniel says, O Lord, great and awesome God, righteousness is on your side. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act and do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your people bear your name. When Calvin lectured on this chapter, I found it fascinating. He, he took several class sessions to, to lecture on it. And uh, he ended each lecture in prayer. And his prayers um, placed all their hopes on God's mercy. And he said they were what he called a real repentance that's far greater than the fiction of mildly professing ourselves guilty once in a while. And so in one of the prayers, Calvin asked, May we not be satisfied with a single confession, but may we continue on in the same state of meditation and acknowledge no other hope but God's mercy and the intercession of God's only begotten Son. This is the Christian life. 
And, this is, and it's not just the Christian life just to repeat Daniel's prayer or the prayers of the Psalms or the prayers of Calvin, but to repeat them as it regards our particular situation. To pray them when we check the date. We get our bearings in this world. So that's, we're kind of transitioning from the first question then to the second one. Let's review then. The first question, what kind of prayer is this? The answer is that it's a prayer of confession and repentance, a prototype for us turning from sin towards God's mercy. And, it, and we would understand through the way it's been used by the church that it's to be a regular aspect of our life. as We get our bearings through God's word um, for life in this world, in the dis- different seasons of our lives. But the question then, who is this prayer for? The short answer, which we've already implied, is that this prayer is for each and every individual one of us. But The short answer isn't the full answer because, yes, this is a prayer for each of us, but in a particularly interesting way. We would pray this prayer like Daniel as individuals, but let's notice how Daniel prays this as an individual. Daniel prays this as part of a larger people, as part of a movement, as part of a a belonging to a community. He prays for and on behalf of Judah, Jerusalem, all Israel, not just the ones he can see either, both near and far, in all the countries they've been scattered. And as such, he includes himself. In other words, this is a we prayer. And as such, it's a me prayer and a them prayer. It's a we prayer, not just a me prayer or a them prayer. And as a we prayer, it's a me prayer and a them prayer. And this is pretty countercultural for us these days. We don't really think this way, um, or we don't tend to, because we, um, as modern sort of Western people, we come to think of ourselves as really only responsible for what we do as individuals. And that sort of leads to the sort of force of the question that we're considering today. And so we're more likely to make private confessions before God, me prayers, and maybe we'll, one or two trusted other people will let in on that every once in a while. People we trust won't use it against us. Uh, and then when it comes to sort of thinking about um, our current sort of geopolitical or neighborly or family situations, we pray them prayers. You know, God help America right now or whatever we do. We, we kind of distance ourselves. It's not fully implicating us. Well, that's not how Daniel thought about it at all. And in fact, um, it's not how the ancient Hebrews thought about themselves, and it's not about how the apostles in the early church thought about themselves. As a matter of fact, just as a kind of aside, if you go and read the New Testament, every time it says you, the words translated you into English, in the original, it's plural. Like 75% of the you's in the New Testament are plural. It's the the we that's being addressed. And as such, it, it affects the individuals that are involved you're a part of it as part of the people. That's just how they thought. So our question, how can we apologize for things in our past, um, is a really foreign question to ancient people. You'd be like, what do you mean you don't apologize for things in our past? (laughs) They're your sins. You're implicated in them. Listen to what Daniel says. He says, Lord, we and our kings and our princes and fathers, all Israel, all of us, we don't pray because we are righteous. Not even Daniel praise because he's righteous. Daniel, you know about Daniel, right? Daniel's like one of the greatest 
He's like a hero of the faith. He had to sort out how to be faithful to God, not just in the sort of pristine conditions of Israel at its best, but under the sway and authority and employment of, of the worldly empire. And somehow Daniel was faithful. Daniel in the lion's den remained faithful to God, even in persecution. And we tend to apply Daniel to our lives, and we, we think the message for us is to learn to you know, dare to be a Daniel, learn to stand alone in this world for God. And that is something we learned to Daniel, from Daniel. We think, but we take it and we think, oh, to be like Daniel, we need to be pure and perfect in our me prayers. And then we'll point fingers with our them prayers. But that's not how Daniel saw himself or the world at all. Daniel did remain personally faithful, yes, and he's an example to us in that regard. But for Daniel, faithfulness meant considering himself implicated in the sins of his people. That's how Daniel was faithful. If he's going to be implicated in his people's blessings, he's also going to be implicated in their struggles. And the New Testament comes along and it tells us, who come after Christ, that we are with Daniel in that. Not only that, but what Daniel's ultimately waiting for, he's waiting for with us, future people. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, you know this one probably. It's the one that names all the sort of heroes of the faith from Abraham on down. It names a number of kings and prophets from Israel's history. And it even refers to Daniel when it talks about the prophet who shut the mouths of lions. It doesn't say his name, but we know who it's talking about. And what does it say about them? It says that they were all commended, not on account of their sort of isolated, individual, pure and perfect righteousness, but for their faith in God. And it goes on to say, amazingly, that none of them received what had been promised because God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, even the most perfect of Old Testament prophets, the most righteous of Old Testament prophets, um, came to understand that in some way, their perfection is caught up with our perfection. It's a future hope in Jesus Christ. We are implicated with them and them with us in the plans of God. And it's on the way that we learn from them to do what they did, which is to get our bearings from God in our place and time and to be faithful with and on behalf of God's people. As Hebrews 12 puts it now in light of Christ, so we fix our eyes on Jesus. And what we understand from how the early church th taught us to think is that we fix our eyes on Jesus by regularly coming to the word of God in repentance, turning from our own ways to God's ways. And so if we think of our first two questions, it's pretty simple. It's a prayer of repentance, and it's a we prayer. And as a we prayer, we are each individually caught up in it. And it affects each of our different scenarios and, and, um, and lives and neighborhoods as much as we also need to think of our collective responsibilities historically and in our country, in our neighborhood. So if we learn the lessons of Daniel's prayer, we get to our third question, which is, oh, well then, if we're supposed to pray particular prayers of repentance, we prayers of repentance in our day, then what should we be praying? When should we pray it as Southview Alliance Church? And what about? It's a tough question. 
And um, it's even harder when you try to get specific about it. What, sh- what kind of we prayers of repentance should Southview Alliance Church be prepar- praying right now? Well, I'm new here. I don't know. <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> Well, uh, in all seriousness, I don't think that it's anything that, it, a we prayer like this is not something that any one of us can necessarily say on the behalf of everybody we should be praying, but that's why we get together week by week to hear the word of God. We've set aside time for our pastors to lead us in worship and to bring the word of God for us. And then amongst us collectively and in our small groups and families and friendships, we're supposed to thinking about what are the implications of this? What would repentance look like for me, for us? And we look to our pastors to guide us in that and to help us to notice those times when we communally need to pray specific prayers of repentance and follow through. And so I'll, I'll let the pastoral staff tell us. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to cop out from that along with you. We need to be thinking about what John Golden Gay called these communal prayers, which are informed by the word of the Lord and which make contemporary events intelligible to us theologically. In other words, it's the pattern of the word of God and the prayers of the people that help us to get our bearings in our world today and to know where we are and what we should be doing and how we can turn to God. And that's the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. The we prayers that are called for in our place and time. Prayers of repentance. So I won't get very specific. I don't really have the know-how or the authorization as guest preacher and member to really tell you what they are, but let me make a couple suggestions in closing, more big picture ones, the kinds of things that we might consider possible candidates, I suppose, for we prayers. I'm thinking here in terms of our uh, identity as an evangelical church, also our identity as Canadians. So there's two of them to close, just suggestions to think about. First of all, as it regards our you know, the fact that we are an evangelical church. Um, the year is 2020, and so that marks about 77s or so since the break between Protestants and Roman Catholics, and that's about 77s on down the line from the break between Catholics and the Orthodox. So what we have today that we've all been born into is a church that is divided in three, if not more. And this is not something we should forget, or um, be uncaring about. There is uh, a call to the unity of the church that we need to take seriously, that in our time is simply just not there, or is at least not visible. And we would ask ourselves in prayers of, in we prayers of repentance, Lord, rescue us from our disunity as a church. Restore us to the richness of the unity of our confession of Jesus Christ that you would have us. And in those we prayers of repentance, we would be led by the Lord to to think about what can we do about it. And so when we pray every week here at Southview about churches in our area, including the Church of the Sacred Heart today and Bethany Chapel, we're being reminded that that's part of our identity. And there's a richness of unity that we're missing right now that we should lament and repent over. And there's also a witness to the world that is sort of being shallowed out right now. This world that so desperately needs um, signs of unity and, and cooperation and peace. What a witness it would be if the church would be more visibly unified. 
So that's a possibility. That's something we could start including in our corporate prayer lives and, and, and maximizing what we already do there. But secondly, thinking about our national identity here in Canada in 2020, that means we're a few 70s on from the residential schools debacle which well-meaning Christians and churches like us went along with, which we now know in retrospect was incredibly harmful. And we're a few 70s on from what started all that, which is the European conquest of these lands. And these are complicated issues that I don't have solutions to for you. But one thing that has happened in our recent history is that our country has gone through a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And they've produced 94 calls to action about a half a dozen of which are for churches to consider. Have we read them? I think some of us probably have. Have we prayed about what God would have us do with them? I'm not here to tell you what exactly we should do. That's not the point of today. But I do think um, following on in the spirit of Daniel and the we prayers of repentance, we would take hold of that responsibility to consider them in prayer. Those are just two examples, pretty big picture things. We can think about how those things affect our everyday lives or the everyday lives of people around us to some degree. And probably if some of you right now are being prompted in your spirit to think of other situations, maybe a little closer to home, maybe um, grievous events in your family tree. You didn't start the fire, but somehow your family is, is on fire. And there are things in your past that you're implicated in that you could pray we prayers about. And maybe in this church's life, I don't know. If the Spirit is prompting you in those ways, I invite you to take some time to think about that and to seek the Lord on those things. The point is that we would become sensitive to those as we pray, pray prayers with Daniel. And so I want to conclude in prayer this morning that we will uh, allow God to speak to us in these ways and that we'll be freed and liberated in the mercy of God, to see more healing come as a result. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we know that um, at, at this moment there may be some of us who have things stirring up inside of us from our own sort of family histories or our concerns about um, church or the country or political affairs, and we will be potentially overwhelmed with the complexity of those situations, and maybe even fearful of even beginning to consider our place in them. But I pray you'll remind us right now not to be burdened with guilt as if this is ours to carry, but instead that we will find the liberation that Daniel found in just being able to turn to you in the freedom of your mercy and grace, and to ask you to help us to see what repentance would look like, and what our part in that might look like. And I pray you'll give us just trust that in your grace you'll give us what we need to do whatever we might be able to do, even small things. And so we want to turn from the buildup, the kind of car crash of wickedness in our past that we've inherited, and we want to turn from that and we want to be a part of your healing work. And so we pray with Daniel. Oh Lord, we do not pray because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Forgive us, Hear and act in mercy and justice. Hear us and heal us, we pray. Amen.